Welcome to Inspiring People and Places, where we interview national leaders in the architectural, engineering, construction, and development industry in an effort to educate, innovate, and inspire industry professionals to disrupt the status quo, improve their project teams, and steward public and private investments more effectively. I'm your host, BJ Kramer, President and CEO of MCFA. Allow me to introduce today's guest. We are going into uncharted territories here. Uh, this may be right before or right after the Army-Navy game, but we have our very very first Naval Academy guest on the show today. Uh, Eric Hahn, Captain Eric Hahn, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks. Uh, appreciate you having me, BJ. Uh, it's, it's interesting. I, I was reading over Eric's bio. We have a couple of things in common son of an Air Force officer. So both of our fathers failed us by letting us go to, to different services instead of the easy street of the uh, of the Air Force Academy. Uh, Andover, Massachusetts. I have a couple of buddies that that call Andover home uh, from the uh, from the academy. The, the people from and, New Hampshire affectionately refer to us as mass holes. But uh, <laughs> hey, if we need to cut that go. out, we can. But uh, <laughs> No, not at all. I'm I'm in New Jersey, so oh, all right, okay. We, we, it, 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 you get some. I'm sure you get some color, some, color some commonalities yeah, there. Yeah. And then we both had what I imagine are O three assignments doing construction management on more of the civil engineering side of of uh, military construction. Eric comes to us from the NAVFAC, so uh, let's jump in. Uh, tell us a little bit about your career path. You know what led you to the Naval Academy. And uh, what took you from the Naval Academy to where you are now? Sure. So, uh, so thanks for that. Yeah, a number of things. Um, I come from a family of service. Uh, my grandfather fought in the Battle of the Bulge in World War II. A uh, number of uh, uh, Army uh, officers and, and enlisted. And then uh, on my side, uh, my dad and my sister and my brother-in-law were all Air Force. My, my oldest son is a, a second lieutenant in the Air Force. So... You know, kind of like you, I, I didn't see the light necessarily. Uh, <laughs> I chose the tougher road, but uh, but I would argue uh, I've been uh, really happy with my choice. Uh, I, I do love the Navy. Uh, I, I am parochial at times, but uh, really uh, really uh, proud to serve alongside some great leaders uh, in, in all in all of our branches of service. And and uh, consider, I have very close friends who are Marines, and and uh, so anyhow, so you can call me Purple if you want. I agree. We're I, I was going. I was just going to say that I think uh, coming from that background, like as a family, I've got two siblings that went to the Coast Guard Academy. My dad was in the Air Force. He was in the Marines before he transferred to the Air Force. So we are we are purple, and I think it makes us um, more respectful of the of the other perspectives. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and there's uh, you know that difference. Uh, sometimes uh, uh, we sort of have skirmishers about those differences in culture, but it, it, it does. It does make us a stronger force. Uh, so, you know, again, uh, you know, thinking along the lines of uh, uh, disruptive technologies, it's it's differences in thought that can really uh, uh, enhance the team's performance. And if we all think the same way, well, then we're, there's certain things we're just going to miss. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, that, and that 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 applies uh, in in the uh, construction and facilities world as well. Just a quick, um, I'll do the fast forward on me. Uh, I consider myself to be from America, but as I stated, you know, uh, junior high and high school outside of uh, Boston there. Uh, and, uh, and then what brought me to the Naval Academy actually was rowing, uh, among other things. Okay. I think I had always intended 
to either look at the air. I think I was more targeted on the Air Force Academy initially. And so was I. And uh, I was a rower <laughs> in high school and really, oh my gosh, well, there you go. And, and I really fell in love with, uh, with the sport and was kind of, uh, you know, it was a fixation for sure. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I just would be a very different person if not for rowing. And, and they have a team at, uh, at the Air Force Academy, but, but the, the, the quality and the level of play of the team at, uh, at Navy uh, certainly was much higher. So like, ultimately, uh, it was my mom who said, hey, you know, you ought to consider checking out the Naval Academy, too. And at first I reacted like any teenager and kind of said, ah, I don't want to do that. But, uh, but I did look into it and, the, and the, you know, certainly the, the rowing and the academics and the location and all those things. And, and then the career options afterwards seemed uh, more interesting. And so uh, that led me uh, to the engineering world and, and uh, you know, it, it kind of an odd circumstance that I worked. Uh, I worked at, at the YWCA in Nashua, New Hampshire, as a uh, as a maintenance guy in the summers, no, no and I learned under the tutelage of of a uh, of a utilities man from uh, from Vietnam. This guy name was his name was Milton Woolley, and so Milton taught me some things about plumbing and you know just how to do facilities maintenance and uh, you know a range of different things that that I I helped him with as his apprentice. But uh, but yeah, so I think old CB CB Milton uh, there was another reason that uh, I came in the Civil Engineer Corps and then uh, had an opportunity to, to serve uh, twice with operational units there in, in the in the U.S. Navy Seabees. Uh, so uh, so that's sort of how I, I got uh, to the CEC, uh, as you mentioned, so, number so of tours first, doing. For Go some ahead. of our audience that doesn't know what the Navy Seabees are, can you give us just a, a quick background there? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, think of um, a force that is capable of building while defending itself at the same time. And the CBs were invented in World War II when we had to uh, do the island hopping campaign and they needed forward staging bases. So you needed people who, you know, could build piers and wharfs and runways and, and uh, you know, birthing and dining facilities and all that uh, support facilities and so uh, construction battalions, CBs, so they then they kind of changed the little play on words there with S-E-A-B-E-E. So CBs, uh, that's how that came into play. And, and we uh, we serve forward with the Marines uh, in, in many different places uh, now and, you know, over the past uh, several decades as well. So, uh, so yeah. And, uh, and Naval Facilities Engineering Systems Command is, uh, is a systems command that is uh, responsible for design construction and maintenance of infrastructure for the for the u.s navy so so that's our role that's how i uh came into this uh interview here i'm on the uh right now in the lead of navfac washington which is one of nine uh facility engineering commands for the navy so that's uh, that's um, sort of a, a very brief overview of me yeah, a quick brief of almost a 30-year career. So, one, thank you for your service coming on the heels of Veterans Day. Uh, I'll say beat Navy, but I, I will also say happy Veterans Day. Um, tell us a little uh -oh. bit about <laughs> tell us a little bit about what the mission is at NAVFAC Washington and, and what is going on in, in your command right now from a construction engineering standpoint and 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 maybe even how that is tied into the higher hierarchy of DOD and, and that the Navy um, from 
supporting the mission standpoint? Sure, sure. So uh, let me start with our assigned mission. Uh, we have two main lines of effort. So two things that NAFAC Washington does. That is design and construction and it's public works. Uh, we episodically uh, assist with uh, what I would call expeditionary or, or contingency environments. Uh, last year, we had the opportunity to support Operation Allies Welcome in Quantico, and we built a 5,000-man camp for for Afghan um, uh, citizens that were, you know, were evacuated very quickly, as we all kind of remember. Uh, last uh, it wasn't this past summer, but the summer before. Uh, but but as I say, design and construction and public works, that's our assigned mission. Uh, my AOR ranges from uh, Naval Air Station Patuxent River in Southern Maryland up to uh, north to the uh, uh, Naval Support Activity Bethesda, which has Walter Reed National National Military Medical Center. And it it uh, it also we, we go south down to Dahlgren, Virginia, where there's a warfare center and a number of uh, uh, three letter agencies that, that are supported there. And the United States Naval Academy is another one of our sites. Uh, and here I'm in, coming to you from the Washington Navy Yard, uh, which uh, has a number of uh, headquarters activities to include naval reactors, which is in charge of all of the, you know, the, the submarine uh, reactors that are they're, uh, they're, they fit into the, uh, uh, the big Navy construct. Uh, we're, we are an echelon four command and and so they as i mentioned there's nine of those in navfac and then there we work for navfac atlantic which uh covers the the eastern half of the globe and then you take the mississippi river and navfac pacific does everything that's west of the mississippi and into the uh the far east and 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 so on and and then navfac headquarters then answers to the chief of naval operations as an echelon two command um that uh, again, charged with uh, design and construction and expeditionary. Those are the big three lines of effort in the uh, kind of the, the with a obvious slant, heavy slant towards uh, facilities in particular. Awesome. And then from a prioritization or or ongoing mission or or maybe even innovation happening inside of the Navy from a facilities infrastructure standpoint. What are the hot topics on your plate right now that that I'm sure wake you up at two o'clock in the morning and make sure you're on top of? So one of them is uh, we have what I would cons consider to be five mega Milcon projects. So Mil Milcon is military construction. I kind of think of it as uh, well larger construction. It's a separate appropriation that the Congress gives to us to to construct uh, typically new facilities, but it can be for repairs. So we have five of those, and one of them, as an example, is a $600 million uh, hospital addition at uh, Walter Reed National, National Military Medical Center. Uh, so obviously, very, very large facility there that we're, we're adding to the footprint of that base to, uh, to be able to take care of uh, our wounded warriors better, uh, the, those that are coming back from, uh, from deployments in harm's way, and, and it is also the president's hospital. But but the, the main thrust in modernizing the hospital is to uh, is again to to provide that service to veterans, to active duty, and to uh, wounded warriors uh, in Bethesda. Another one that's really two others that are interesting. I'll just talk about two others. One is a master time clocks facility at the U.S. Naval Observatory, which is uh, hmm. near Embassy Row in Washington D.C. And so that that facility um, has a very uh, important mission of providing precise navigation and timing. 
for, for the Navy. For So I won't say too much because this is a unclassified environment, but um, that's a very interesting facility and obviously has very, some very important assets inside of it to make sure that when we things that we want to be in a certain place at a certain time will in fact be in that place and in that time. Uh, so, and then the last one is a, a new uh, war gaming facility that we're building for the U.S. Marine Corps down at Quantico. Uh, and that is to, uh, to modernize and provide a really holistic and uh, classified level uh, war gaming uh, simulation facility that the Marine Corps is going to use to, to be able to, uh, to do war fighting analysis and, and scenario uh, to try to really keep ahead of where our competitors are, what, how they might, whether they attack or whether they just, how they defend and, and to kind of test game theory and, and uh, as it relates to uh, a strategic and operational planning. So, uh, so, so that's, th a, that's those about five a, mega milcon facility on there in Quantico. I'm sorry, I cut you off. How much, what's the size of that one? Uh, that's a, it's about a hundred million dollars. Okay. That's a war gaming facility. The one, the one in Bethesda is, uh, is 600 million. And then the, the master time clocks is about a hundred million as well. So your five mega mil cons are well over a billion. Uh, yeah. We're our business volume, uh, with, uh, with the, we look at designs, uh, in, you know, construction, things that are either, you know, pending or, or in uh, active status. And then we also do with our public works mission, uh, we're about a $1.6, $1.7 billion annual uh, op operation here. So not unlike the Corps of Engineers, Corps of Engineers has the, the districts, they have the division, and then they have USACE mm -hmm. headquarters. You have you have um, NAFAC headquarters and then NAFAC East-West, and then you're, you're Washington. You're one of those nine, you called it Echelon 2 commands? Uh, echelon 4, yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. Yep, um, and uh, and then no, no, that's fine. And then working for us are public works departments at each of those uh, uh, six installations I mentioned before. Uh, I don't know if I ran through all of them, but but I mentioned several of them. Yeah. So when you have the public works, to, the Corps of Engineers no longer has you know the installation management that falls under MCOM. You still have basically the public works department. Do you also have area engineers or resident engineers running your MILCOM projects or do they get assigned to those public works departments? They're, they align underneath those, those public works departments. There's a couple of rarities like at uh, Joint Base Andrews um, is primarily an Air Force base. We have a, uh, a, a the presidential aircraft replacement hangar that's nearly finished uh, over there. And that's a resident officer in charge of construction, a ROIC. That happens to be a ROIC right. operation as opposed to a, uh, a, a under a PWD. Uh, we don't, you know, they, they're separate and apart from the, from the, the Air Force Civil Engineer Squadron that runs their public works on that base. Cool. One of the things that we're really focused on right now is in addition to uh, really doing a better job of guarding uh, a time as it relates to, you know, schedule performance on particularly those Milcon projects and the mega projects. Uh, but, but time in general uh, is a, a performance to plan where we really lay out, you know, before the year starts, Hey, this is the number of projects that we plan to, to design. This is the number we plan to uh, do a contract award. And then, you know, the, the completion dates uh, to, to try to keep to those milestones uh, more tightly because our ability to be able to deliver in a timely way to those supported commands with a wide range of missions from 
research development, testing and evaluation, uh, the test pilot school at, at, uh, at Patuxent River, the uh, uh, weapons manufacturing at, that happens at uh, Indian Head, Maryland, uh, that we need to be able to, uh, to deliver as predictably, as reliably as possible, and to do it as quickly as possible with good quality. Uh, so this performance of plan concept is one where we've we've taken uh, you know industry advice to say what are the key performance indicators that that uh, help you track along those timelines well uh, how do you uh, maintain those schedules and so looking closely at design start and and award timing and uh, mobilization within a certain period of time uh, that's another thing that we're, we're we're really stressing right now and then I would say. We're, we're looking a lot at our uh, utility systems. We've got a utilities uh, campaign plan that we're developing and we're heavily focused our preventive maintenance program on utilities and, and HVAC. And so uh, it's my assertion that the closest thing that we have on the infrastructure side to uh, operational availability, this is ASOBO that you can think of maybe a ship or an airplane, it needs to be ready for tasking, can it? Can it either go off and do its sortie or get underway and do its mission? For buildings, it needs it needs its utilities and it needs its HAC. Otherwise, it's really like not mission uh, capable. Deadline, I guess you can to to put it in technical uh, terms. So, yeah, not mission capable. And so, looking at uh, shifting our efforts, prioritizing really prioritizing planned maintenance, preventive maintenance uh, to get ahead of disruptions. Uh, again, to sort of uh, hedge against, um, you know, utilities outages and and, uh, and then also understanding that most of our bases were built uh, in uh, World War II timeframe, several of them in this area before that. And so that uh, those distribution systems are aged and it's time. I don't think uh, that's an uncommon thing for universities, for uh, for I'm sure that counties and, and cities are, you know, are all having sort of a similar problem where, uh, certainly things that are underground, they don't, people don't want to spend the money on the underground stuff until they do. It's like, I joke that nobody cares about wastewater until they care. And then they really care. <laughs> uh, you know, so it's, it's getting after trying to prioritize, you know, a long list of worthy requirements, uh, to, to, to try to recapitalize, um, those utilities, uh, generation and distribution systems to, uh, to, to try to, again, uh, bolster the, the reliability of, uh, you know, our infrastructure as it provides key support to the, the mission owners, the, those war fighters that I talked about. We're in the business, in the end, we're in the business of preparing for conflict. And so the, to the extent that our infrastructure can be trusted and counted upon, that's, you know, that's, that's our role here at NAVFAC. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think it's, a, again, common threads that we're probably seeing across the services, but uh, uh, we're, we're focused on, on those things I just mentioned. So, one of the biggest things impacting construction in general and, and projects is, and I know with appropriations and, and budget approvals, is uh, supply chains and the delays that they're causing. And then on top of that, you know, with that, I guess, is inflation and it's an impact on the cost of doing business in the construction engineering industry. How is NAVFAC navigating that? Are you are you feeling that yet? Um and and maybe that's more in the out years, but yeah, talk to us about that. Oh, it's it's right now, and absolutely, we're we're feeling that. Uh, and you know, we are in close 
partnership with the Association of General Contractors and tracking, you know, some of those important metrics and, and other other uh, agencies that, that uh, look after those cost indexes so that as we develop and uh, package up and define the, the requirements of a project, we understand what those costs are going to be. So a couple of things that we're doing now is hiring additional cost engineers. So people who are who are trained in cost engineering uh, to to get better estimates. I mean, our, our people do a reasonably good job, but um, in this environment in particular, it's important to really understand, hey, what are the cost drivers in this specific project going to be? So understanding those cost drivers best. Also, um, uh, having a tiered approach to the uh, to those estimates, and and there's uh, you know there's a, there's a system for this uh, that we're adopting. The industry uses. Um, I won't remember it well, but suffice it to say, we're we're, we're definitely latching on to uh, some of the industry techniques as a as a, a level one, level two, level three estimate, and and the confidence factors when you start at the uh, at the beginning is about a fifty percent cost. You know, uh, or sorry, a 50% confidence factor. And as you refine and as you uh, uh, do additional cost engineering and you do additional design, um, as the design becomes more clear, then you can go back and say, okay, now let's update the cost again. And that gets us into a cost schedule risk analysis. You know, and, and the interplay between uh, cost and time is obviously huge. Uh, so we're, we're uh, on those bigger projects that are, you know, multi-millions, and in many cases, we have some now in NAFAC that are in the billions, literally single products that are over a billion. Um, and, and those right now are, are in our, our, uh, our public shipyards to do uh, to recapitalize dry docks for nuclear maintenance of submarines and, and aircraft carriers. Uh, we, we've got, we're applying those techniques of, of uh, CSRA, the cost schedule risk analysis to, you know, to try to do the best we can and, and being predictable. And so when we say, hey, the program amount should be X that we have a confidence factor associated with it, and and, and also it's requiring um, a uh, even on top of that a, a bit of a um, an additional contingency uh, because as we we have seen the markets changing pretty quickly in the government, um, and you remember this if, if you were you know doing it uh, in the services that you, the timing and the the long ramp to funding. Uh, it doesn't lend itself very well to this current market. Yeah. And, and we're typically creating estimates three years in advance. And and it's my assertion that, you know, Congress expects us that to get to get it right. But in some ways, just, in today's environment, it's a little bit unrealistic uh, to expect that something that was developed three years ago and considered budget ready when it finally gets appropriated three years later. Well, so a number of things will have changed, and so we're we're playing smarter. Uh, we're also uh, trying to structure our, our contracts in a way that will, you know, allow us to have options, and and we we really get down to the the brass tax scope uh, of what what is the minimum viable project, right? So what's the truly like making some hard decisions on? Hey, what's what are the most important elements of this this uh, this program, this project, um, and so. Not, not to maybe kind of using it as the, hey, well, this is our chance. Uh, it's like, no, we're going to make the hard decisions. We're going to, we're going to set a, a, you know, critical, you know, critical set of scope elements, and then, you know, we'll, we'll chase all of the program that we want, but knowing that when it comes time to do the, the, uh, the procurement, 
there may be some, you know, some things that need to say, Hey, we're going to set this aside because we have our minimum viable, viable project. So, so real time, I mean, I want to, for, for our non DOD folks, you know, the, the process is what, what Captain Hawn's talking about is a 1391 DD 1391 is where a requirements document in the first phase of rough order magnitude costing or estimating comes in and, as as you would want as a stewardship of the public dollar the the you know navfac is responsible for gathering that information from a mission and and then sending that up for competition or prioritization or triaging from you know navy budget office up to right. up to the pentagon but the timeline is really a 3 year window that projects compete and move through the palm and captain hawn correct me on anything that you know i may be a little outdated here and then the projects get approved and author or authorized, and then uh, what's I always confuse this because a project that's authorized doesn't necessarily mean that it's funded. Uh, so you have to have authorization and funding. Correct. And then and, and then appropriation. Yeah, authorization <laughs> and appropriation. There you go. I knew there was two A's. Um, and then it can go into construction. And what Captain Hawn is talking about is once it's back in the field to the NAVFAC command or you know the construction team, and I, I call it the team because you've got the NAVFAC or the, the government side and the con- contractor, everybody's on the same page. Like contractor competed for the job. They want to go execute the mission and, and support NAVFAC. NAVFAC has to be the stewardship steward of the public investment there. And they're, they're trying to manage those costs and the schedules to deliver for the mission. But in real time, inflation's happening and labor market's going crazy. So the only option you really have is is to start descoping and really prioritize what does the mission need. So talk to us about leadership lessons at your level right now, and and I want to I want to hear where things are going because you get to be the stucky between Congress appropriating and the mission not getting everything that they that was on their wish list because of what's going on and you become you become the bad guy. Right. I, I think that's uh that's I kind of see it in a similar way. Um it's it's not necessarily uh an easy place to be, but I think that um what I find is that engineers in general are able to, you know, just be pragmatic and kind of lay it flat and stick to the facts. And, uh, and the facts will win the day. So our ability to communicate what we consider to be, hey, these are what we would advise are the most critical elements and, and having those kind of conversations on, you know, what are things that, um, you know, would still allow for the mission to continue and, and create a complete and usable project and complete and usable facility because we want for those taxpayer dollars to deliver the, you know, the, the intended uh, outcome. Um, it, it's... Uh, Aligning those expectations can be tough. And one of the things that we've found uh, successful and we're able to do it on some of our, most of our bigger projects. In fact, we do it on all of our big projects is a, uh, is a called the governance team. And so we have, uh, we have three, three levels. It's project level team, uh, which you might imagine is the construction manager and the, the, uh, the, uh, the officer that's in charge of the construction office. Uh, it would be the, the contractor's, uh, uh, their on-site construction manager, and then uh, there'll be mission owners that participate uh, at the site. Um, so consider it the it would be someone higher than a building manager for certain, but uh, but somebody who's you know kind of in a, at a medium level of the organization. That's the PLT, and then there's an 
executive level team, which is typically at the uh, the 05 and 06 level. So that's, uh, and I guess if you like GS, you would be a GS 14, GS 15 level that would have a monthly battle rhythm of, hey, here's how this is going. Uh, we have to make these decisions or we're having this challenge. And so the PLT, the project team elevates the ELT and then quarterly is a senior level team, which is made up of flag and general officers at that level uh, and senior executives uh, in the in the uh, corporation uh, for the contractor where you're at the VP level, at least sometimes it, it can be higher. It might even be the, the CEO themselves, depending on the firm. And uh, and so we find that, uh, you know, the ability to fix or elevate uh, is uh is good and there's a communication ladder that's established at uh, at the initial kickoff uh, meeting for the project to you know, ensure everybody understands the communication ladders uh, that that will then be implemented when it comes time to make these kind of hard choices and and that it's uh, it's it, you know setting the tone early at a very senior level in the project uh, that it's our project everyone it's it's the the, the NAFAC government, it's the, the mission owner government, and it's the contractor. Together, it's it's a shared responsibility. It's shared risks, and uh, you know it's a kind of the next level of partnering. I would say uh, that helps us to uh, to try to manage uh, some of those difficult conversations. Uh, you know about uh, hey, w- what should we do in this case? How do we manage the uh, the what we're going to deliver? Um, so I, uh, hopefully that kind of got after your It your does. Question. And I, I want to highlight that because, you know, we've, we've had a number of guests that talk about it from the owner's side as well as the private sector side. But I think to your point, the senior executives setting the tone that it is our project and that we're here to, to you know, it, if it was easy, we wouldn't have jobs. Let's start there. And, and it's our job to navigate through whatever's going on in the environment, um, you know, and, you know, a, a contractor has to bid it and make a fair profit and, and provide for their labor force and, and get things done. So it, I think, you know, maintaining those lines of communication and, and constantly managing expectations and then solving the problems. And I agree, uh, engineers are, are way better at being pragmatic than, than, you know, some of the owners we've dealt with that are emotional and, and, you know, uh, you know, I, I want it and I want it now, um, you know, type mindset. Uh, so I think that's, I think it's a great leadership uh, lesson at all levels that, you know, engineers, you need to be able to rely on, on the logic and the pragmatics, but you also have to be able to communicate and manage expectations. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 another one I, I like to, it's overly simplistic, but you know, the triangle, right. Cheap, fast, and good. That's pick right. any two. I used and then when I was in Afghanistan, when I was in Afghanistan, I said pick one if you're lucky. <laughs> uh, I helped with the Afghan National Police uh, to build build out their infrastructure for a year over there, but uh, all over the place. But uh, yeah, inspiring people in places is brought to you by MCFA. MCFA is a CVE verified, service disabled, veteran owned small business. At MCFA, our why is to inspire people in places through project leadership. We provide planning, strategy, program management, and construction management support services to a wide variety of public and private sector clients. So switching, switching gears a little bit, um, what do you do outside of the office? Family, family, nonprofits, hobbies, well, what are you involved in? 
No, thanks for asking. Um, I, um, I had a number of years, so I have, uh, I have three older boys. I mentioned I have my, my, my second Lieutenant son and, uh, you know, and then he has two, two brothers, um, one's in, in, uh, so Ethan's out at uh, Wright Patterson. And then my, my middle son is in Tennessee and my youngest is at university of Washington, uh, my youngest son. And I have a six-year-old daughter. So, uh, my, she's my, uh, my, my happy surprise. Um, and, uh, so I, uh, definitely really enjoyed uh, her and, you know, uh, helping her learn to read and count and all the different things. Uh, uh but I did spend a number of years, uh, in scouting. Um, I'm, I'm an Eagle scout and, uh, spent a good five or six years really pretty heavily involved in, in, in boy scouts and serving as, uh, you know, assistant scout master and a scout master and, pretty heavily involved in the troop. I'm a runner. Um, I've run probably, I should know the number. I want to say it's 14 marathons, but uh, oh, wow. um, I, I haven't done a lot of, I haven't done a lot of rowing, unfortunately, though I do miss it um, because running is just very logistically easy. Um, have done a number of triathlons, but uh, been a few years since I've done the, the triathlons, but uh, yeah, running is kind of my, uh, that's my centering activity, I guess. If uh, the chips are down, I need to clear my head and you know, it's time to go for a run. And, uh, so I enjoy doing that. And, uh, you know, I like to camp and, and be, out. I like to be outside. So that's, that's one thing. And I also like to cook. So, um, uh. I'm not, I'm not too shabby in the kitchen. I, I'm not sure I'll open a restaurant, but, uh, <laughs> and try to sell food, but, uh, but I'm not half bad in the kitchen either. So, uh, are you in charge of Thanksgiving dinner? Well, it's funny. You should ask. I, uh, um, I, uh, I like to smoke uh, my turkey. And so right. uh, I've got a, a green egg and, and, uh, so, and so my built, my routine on Thanksgiving morning is to, is to get up, light that, that, uh, smoker, put the bird on. And then I go off to, uh, there's a five miler in Alexandria here. Uh, and so the turkey trot and, uh, my, my daughter's in the jogger and she rides and I, I push her and, uh, and then we come back and uh, check on the bird. So, uh, so looking forward to that. That's awesome. Uh, favorite quote. So uh, George C. Marshall, uh, it's amazing what you can get done if you don't worry about who gets the credit. It's a great quote. I mean, I, I think it speaks for itself. And, it's all about the team. Ah, absolutely. Absolutely. Again, kind of back to the pragmatics that we are. I think uh, engineers are great at it. And uh, I mentioned Afghanistan and, and um, I really enjoyed working in the combined joint uh, environment where we had a, we called it CJ Eng, uh, there at uh, Camp Eggers in, in uh, Kabul. And we had French, Korean, Spanish, Portuguese, um, hmm. and, and this it, all from different services. And then we had Air Force, Army, and, and Navy engineers, all of us working together, uh, Australians and, and Brits. And uh, it was amazing though we all came from very different backgrounds to extend my, my comment about, you know, purple and right. uh, engineers are, are cut from the same cloth. It holds true Inter internationally holds true. And it was <laughs> kind of amazing. It's like, wow, you know, you kind of, it's like, if you're born to be an engineer, then, you know, you think okay. a certain way. And, and uh, so it's kind of cool to see how, how much we have in common, despite, you know, geographic and cultural different and language differences. So, yeah, that's cool. Uh, how about must read books? Boys in the boat. Mm. I mean, again, I'm sticking with the right. I mean, I just. Uh, uh, you're the second person, I think, in, in a month that has said that. Oh, is that right? 
Um, I, I will admit I'm not the most voracious reader. So uh, it's obviously been a while since that one came out, but uh, it is one of my favorites. Um, I like Undaunted Courage too, but, uh, um, but, uh, but there's not to me uh, a clear example of teamwork than watching an eight man shell with the coxswain, you know, do its thing. I mean, it's just do. There's yeah. no superstars, you know, there's no quarterbacks, there's no point scoring. It's, it's uh, it's fully team so and grueling <laughs> yeah <laughs> well that that too it's not for the faint of heart it's uh yeah people wonder like man that seems like it wouldn't be very interesting it's like <laughs> well you, you could be kind of right about that so i i was a swimmer and you know people say the same thing you stare at a black line and just go back and forth all day so it, i misery loves company something like that um yeah. Yeah. Dead or alive, if you could hang out with three people for a day, who would they be? What would you do? Man, so um, I, I will admit I, I'm not maybe the most prepared to to answer this well. Um, there's a number that that, that come to mind. Um, you know, kind of sticking with the uh, one of the actually one of the people that comes to mind is uh, is Shackleton. So mm. you know, he's an explorer um, and uh, kind of reading again. I didn't mention any books about him, but just uh, how he and his his right hand man uh you know what how they overcame adversity you know so when i think about think i'm having a bad day and things are hard and gosh these projects they're not going smoothly i think about old shackleton and it's like that was literally life or death and uh, he was able to you know maintain a positive attitude and do some problem solving you know so that's 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 a guy I would uh, what what I would do I'm I, I don't know exactly just be able to you know have conversations and uh, you know maybe maybe go on a on a hike with a guy like that um, so that, that's one that comes to mind um, another one is um, you know from a again from a leadership uh, things that can be learned uh, grace under pressure is is Winston Churchill you know about again being able to uh, to to maintain clarity and to uh, keep a team uh, focused and moving forward um, in the face of very extreme adversity. Um, you know, it's, I think he's a, he's a, he's a good example. Um, trying to think, uh, trying to think who else, actually, you know, my, my grandmother uh, who, uh, who lived to be 92 and she passed away in, gosh, oh, I don't know, I think it was 2013. So it's been 10 years now, but, uh, I, 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 uh, I often say that, uh, and she was sharp to the day she, she, she left us, but, uh, I often say I, she was born in the wrong century because I really wonder what would she do with the, you know, the way that now there are much, there's more opportunities. There should be a lot more opportunities, but there are more opportunities, uh, for women, uh, than there will say that there were in her era you know, born before the depression and lived through that. Um, and, and so, you know, being able to, um, go back to, you know, baking, she taught me how to make pie crust and, and, and some other things and just, you know, make some jelly with her, I guess. And <laughs> I know it sounds like <laughs> the most random thing, but, uh, wow. but, and just talk about, you know, uh, what, what would she do if she could do some of the things that, you know, we watched some great, uh, female leaders out there, uh, you know, in industry and, and in, in government, um, you know, that we're, we're seeing some really impressive uh, people out there come to the fore. And I just wonder, would she be 
the first woman president if she was born in the right right time i you know yeah. i don't know so i, I just think uh a really really an amazing person so sounds like a special lady uh to wrap us up legacy what do you want on your tombstone how do you want to be remembered team builder right i think that's the that's the bottom line team builder uh the, the leg you know it's in it as far as a legacy i i guess i don't uh, i just well first of all i hope that my my four children are good citizens and good people kind of helpful and humble that's my that's my pitch with my boys and my daughters like hey you in it those are three things you got to be when you as you as you, doesn't matter how old you are where you are what you do do those three things um but but i think um somebody who is a uh, a unifying force i think i hope that's how i'm remembered as somebody who brings people together uh, you know and uh, again kind of developing a common purpose and and you know that and i guess implicit in that is is inspires a team to do maybe a little bit more than they thought they they could that's awesome and then to close us out any any words our audience spans uh, engineers coming right out of college up to senior executives of private sector and public agencies. Any words of wisdom that you want to close us out with to the industry? Uh, well, for the industry, I, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll say we need um, uh, innovators. We need people who can, can push us to break from what we're comfortable with as, uh, uh, as builders and maintainers. Uh, we, we need to think differently uh, we have uh, seen some opportunity uh, in working through the pandemic. Uh, you know what the new normal is. I'm not really sure, but uh, certainly uh, it's taught us that we can leverage technologies like this one we're using right here uh, to to uh, collaborate, uh, to to again to, to maybe build teams and and to uh, to solve problems. And and so, how do we use space? Right? How should we use space? Uh, and um, I think there's some responsible choices that we can make. Uh, and our our DoD is uh, struggles with um, divestiture. I guess to put it really kind of succinctly, I, I would love it if we could actually have money for demolition and we could, you know, get rid of stuff at its intended service life. But but I do think that um, we're at a point now where as we look at what we what we are able to do. Uh, in 20, we'll just say in May of 2020, when we're, many of us were in lockdown is it's amazing. So, you know, what, what is the, what's the kind of the, the, what does about right look like as it relates to the amount of uh, brick and mortar that we should be using? Um, how much face to face interaction should we have? Because I believe that's important as well, but certainly we don't want to revert to how we were in 2019 before the pandemic. Um, we probably don't want to go back to how we were in, in, uh, in May of 2020 either, you know, so what, what, what's that middle ground and what should we be seeking uh, to try to, min to, to, you know, reduce our, our footprint, you know, to put it simply. So that's a, that's a, maybe a food for thought. And, and I, I'm seeking any advice that, uh, that uh, other, other agencies, other uh, organizations have, have uh, found successful. We're doing some of that on our own here, uh, but it would be great if we could get our DOD to really latch onto that. Yeah. No, that's a great, great topic. And, and, uh, you know, talk about the office of the future and, and what does that look like? And then, you know, 
I, I always say that the AEC industry stands for archaic, expensive, and complicated. So any any way we can be innovating in in what what can be a a slower adoption to innovation industry, uh, I think is is always good food for thought. So thank you, thank you, Captain Eric Hahn, for for being on, inspiring people in places. We we really appreciate your time and insights. And uh, go Army, beat Navy. Army. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Hey, everybody. If you're enjoying this show, do us a favor and subscribe to Inspiring People and Places on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast hosting platform. We'd also greatly appreciate if you left us a review and shared this with other entrepreneurial public servants and all your friends and family in the AEC space. Be sure to visit our website, www.mcfaglobal.com. Sign up for our newsletter to stay in touch with us and learn about all of the projects and clients we're helping. Last but not least, we are hiring. We are always hiring. Do us a favor. Take a look at what jobs we have open. Contact us through our website or connect with me on LinkedIn. Until next time, have a great rest of your week and a great weekend.